Welcome to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with Opera Holland Park's director of opera, James Clutton. In conversation with creatives and collaborators, we explore the process of putting opera on stage and how the artists involved approach their craft. Hello, welcome to From the Producer's Office. I'm James Clan, director of opera, Opera Holland Park, and it's from the producer's home office today. It's in the, in the middle of April, and we all know what that means. So um, I'm here today with two people that I'm um, proud to call friends who have worked for Holland Park uh, many times between them and uh, just always great to hang out with. So I've got with me today, do you want to introduce yourself, David and Tal? Who, who am I speaking to? Hi, I'm I'm David Buckphillip and uh-huh. I'm sitting in my kitchen in Beckenham. Very good, Tal. T- ten is first. I'm Tanya Romani. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love DBP very much. I'm just teasing. And I'm sat in my living room in Cardiff. In Cardiff, great. And what are we drinking, guys? David? I'm on. Uh, we've been we've been making different cocktails each night for the last few nights. So uh, today we were on French 75s. Um, so now I am drinking a glass of Tattinger because that's what we've got half a bottle of in the fridge. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Natalia, what are you drinking, darling? I'm not sure I can compete with that. I did have a little um, aperitif of uh, Edinburgh gin with uh, a twist of orange and a bit of fever tree. Oh, and now I'm on the uh, rosé. Oh, very good. Well, I've got a, a Gibson martini here uh, with some some pickles uh, from Angela's book recipe. So we're, oh, we're all in there. So it's all very oh, nice. Anyway, so um, superior drinks, guys. Well, we, we, we all try. We all try our best, don't we? Um, <laughs> we talk. We talk about all the stuff, um, you know, later that we're all going through. But I think let's let's just start just more generally about the pair of you, because so many people know you from your stage work and see a bit more. So. Uh, we'll start with you, Natalia. Um, was there music in your family when you were growing up? Was it obvious that you were going to be involved in this business or did it come as some sort of surprise? Um, I think it came as a surprise to everyone. Um, the only musical influence in my family was my late grandfather, who right. was from the Ukraine, um, and who I affectionately called Dido. Um, and he... It's Ukrainian for grandfather. And um, he, he taught himself to play the accordion. And Lovely. he would often um, sit around playing it and um, encourage me to sing along with yeah. uh, Ukrainian folk songs yep. and also to dance to it. Other than that, I'm from a family of police officers. Right. But was there music it, it, with you just around, apart from your grandfather, was there any classical music being played where you when you were growing up at all? Not at all. In fact, um, far more musical theatre um, right, right. Yeah. What's your dream musical theatre role, Tal? Oh, um, hang on now. There's so many to choose from. I have to be very, very careful here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll I come. would quite like to play, um, oh, what's her name? Not Roxy, the other one in Chicago. Oh, yeah, uh, great. Velma. Velma. Oh, God, yeah. you'd be great in that. Yeah, I'd love that. You'd be great in that. And David, about you, was there music in your family when you were growing up? Um. Yes. Um, I mean, there's never been a professional musician in my family, but my dad uh, is a huge classical music fan and a very good amateur singer and pianist and violinist. But the idea of of doing this professionally was was a new thing for my family, definitely. So they they got me into classical music, my parents. 
Um, but, you know, it was relatively late that I decided to take it very seriously. Okay. And what sort of classical music would the family play around the house, David? Well, they're, they're huge opera fans. Right. Um, but also um, my dad very much uh, chamber music and, and symphonic repertoire as well. And you said it was a surprise to, to you both. In that. There was, was there a moment you can remember, Natalia, where you thought, oh, that's a job, being a, being a classical singer is a job. Is there a moment you can remember where that became a thing or did it just happen over a long period of time? I think it happened over a longer period of time and, and mainly during my time at the Guildhall uh, towards the, the later half of, of my studies, mm. I realised that it, it could be a job mm. and, um, and that it was getting quite serious actually. And that I was quite lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't you think there was going to be a job when you went to Gilder though? I mean, it's obviously a, a great place to go. And that was obviously a serious thing to go there. Did Was it already in your mind that I'm going to be an opera singer? Uh, no, not at all. In fact, I, I'd never seen an opera until I went to the Guildhall. Wow. Mm. We like that. <laughs> we like that very much. And David, for you, is there a moment or is it once again a sort of slow burn transition? Well, it's a weird sort of... Um dichotomy really I mean my parents took me to my first opera when I was 16 right. and a couple of times after that as well when I was still living at home but at that stage I was I was already singing but really only for fun uh, as a hobby and it, it wasn't until I dropped out of university age 21 that somebody first suggested to me the idea of studying to wow. do this full time and at the, I can honestly say that when that was suggested to me at the age of 21 it had never once in my whole life occurred to me that that might be a, an option, really? really. And why did that? Why do you think that person said that at that moment? Have they heard you, you know, singing seriously? Yeah, so I was studying um, philosophy and politics at university and not doing very well because <laughs> my heart wasn't really in it. Um, and I, it turned out that I was basically spending all my time doing uh, music for fun. Um, running the university choir, singing in the cathedral choir, nice. and then being in a couple of covers bands and also sort of like the odd musical here and there. Right. And the head of music at the at Liverpool University where I was studying after I'd dropped out of my degree said, have you ever thought about training to be a singer? Wow. You, I think you'd be good enough. And I honestly, I laughed out loud. Like I, it, it never occurred to me that I might be good enough to do that. Wow, that's incredible. We owe, we owe him a favour. Or her, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, and and what so what made you and your family that you just described there, you know, come up to be to go to Guildhall in the first place? What what what, what was that moment of journey? Um, well, I started to take singing lessons uh, to get through my ABRSM exams, and I had to sing some classical music mm. for them. And I started to take classical singing lessons with a lady called Penny Ryan, who lives in the Mumbles in Swansea. Mm -hmm. And it was really her that introduced me to the concept, concept of um, auditioning in, in London and also for the Royal Welsh uh, College. And I auditioned for the RCM undergrad um, Trinity, both of which I didn't get into, oh. just FYI. It's a good name and shame, uh, that, Natalia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's probably because I told them that the music I listened to was at the time Beyonce and Christina Aguilera. <laughs> I'm thinking. But yeah, the Guildhall took pity on me mm. and I'm really very grateful to them. Well, it's a great place. It is. Yeah. It is a great place. I mean, that was the first time I saw you there. The first time I saw you was doing 
we'll come back to this later, was singing the role of Violanta yeah. at Guildhall. And uh, yeah. I remember I'd offered you, uh, then I offered you this thing to come and sing uh, the leading Gioelli della Madonna for us, mm-hmm. um, which was this massive piece for anyone anyone listening that didn't know it. It's this incredible piece, isn't it, Natalia? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really nuts. In fact, I did an interview earlier on today where I described the character of Maliella and it brought back a load of memories. Yeah about how um, how much I enjoyed her temperament, actually. Right. But I remember I remember seeing you because we didn't know each other at that point, but I just remember seeing that that's the, that's the person and the character that I want for this role. And a lot we had a lot of mutual friends or people that were working with you at Guildhall, like Martin Lloyd Evans, Peter Robinson. And I was saying, I think this is the girl I've been looking for. And they was, wow, that, <laughs> that is a big role. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know. But I think it was just something about you. You had that poise for that. But it was a big... Um, was, it turned out not to be a gamble or risk for me, but it was also a risk for you as well, for both of us, because I was offering this someone coming out of college this amazingly uh, big role. But you, it was a big thing for you because it was a London debut and everything, and you just came yeah, out and but, smashed it, didn't you? Well, I mean, it, t- it took some work and it took some courage, and actually it was great that I did it there at the park um, mm. with with you and with your support and and also with the, the, the support and nurturing of Martin Lloyd Evans as well. Yeah. Who I remember telling, oh, I can't possibly sing a G and run at the same time. And he said, <laughs> Natalia, just do it. And I went, okay. <laughs> yeah. That, we love that about directors, absolutely. Um, but do you, but do he you, knew me. Yeah, I was saying, but do you because it was it was an incredible piece uh, that Jarelli and um, did you fit? Do you remember this? I mean, it's a few years ago now. Do you, did you feel incredible pressure, or because you were sort of relatively newcomer, was there not as much pressure because no one, not as many people knew you then? I think that the the piece was so unknown, hmm. and it was. It, but yeah, I mean. It, it, I don't know why, because it's so beautiful. But yeah. because there was no expectation mm. on on the role or mm. the opera, that took the pressure off a little bit. Yeah. But what I think was a a bit of pressure for me was that I had just finished my first year at Houston Grand Opera, yeah. and I was sort of going through a, a technical reshuffle. Yeah. And and that brought its own challenges and pressures. Yeah. with it but um that role was um was great to sort of try and test um the things that I was learning and put them into practice yeah I remember when we were doing some music rehearsals downstairs at St Martin the Fields and you know when you just got back and having that chat about what do we do now because you know you were obviously um going through some transition but it was just it just seemed the perfect role for you at the right time that one ultimately yeah and I think actually with me it really helps when it's a character that I relate to and that I can really throw myself into yeah and then to some extent of course you know vocally you work very hard to achieve um what what you what you want and what you need mm. but the the fact that i i love the character so much distracted me a little bit from yeah. the singing which was a good thing at, at the time yeah no no that makes that makes a lot of sense but i think also there was one of those times when we do these rarities that it felt like a sort of world premiere that night in a funny way because probably yeah. no one in the audience had seen it before. No. And it was so mammoth as well. I mean, how many people did we have on that stage, James? Well, I think we had about, um, well, it was over it was over 70 because I remember that we got to the Sarah Crabtree out at the Royal Opera. She and I were working on that show and we 
put all the pieces of paper down for every role and everyone in the chorus and then we and we had 60 people on stage and then it turned mm. we turned the next page of the score and it said um, then the, then the procession enters yeah we're like, what, what procession hold on and so we got a load of extras in if you remember from our sponsors yeah, Investec and from our audience we just got some non-singing extras in because of so many people um but yeah it was, it was a great one to look back on and uh and his family came in, you know, Wolf Ferrari's family came in and, and, and it was all, right. all a lovely time, all a lovely time. Great. Um, David, with you, because we go a bit further back, because uh, do you want to talk about the first time that we worked together? Sure, yeah. Uh, let me think about where, where I can start this story. So um, I'm not even sure you know the beginning of this story. Right. So in 2009, I was a year out of college, or I had, in 2008, rather, I had just left college and I was getting married in summer 2009 and I got offered a place in the Glanborn chorus which I was unable to take because I was getting married and they wouldn't give me enough time off for my wedding basically (laughs) so on instructions from my wife I turned it down and um, cobbled together bits of other work for the summer and Mm. at the last relatively late notice I got a call from, was it Sarah? I can't remember. I think it would have been Sarah at that time, yeah. Yeah. Um, asking if I would come and do chorus uh, in Orpheus and the Underworld. Yeah. And as it happened, the timing was perfect because I think it finished about about 10 days before my wedding or something like that. Yeah. Um, hmm. So, and I'd never, I'd never been to Holland Park before. I knew people that had done it before because I'd left the academy the previous year, and there were lots of people in my year that had done bits and bobs for you. Yeah. Um, but I'd never even been to a show. Wow. So I had no idea what what to expect really, um, and I had a, a highly entertaining few weeks, <laughs> um, prancing about uh, in uh, PVC and studs. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But then um, you had to put your costume on at some point, uh, David. Exactly. <laughs> um, but but I remember that so well. And, and we did a film in the in the summer about our chorus, and and uh, you were interviewed in it. And you said this gorgeous thing about the company um, nurturing the feeling of togetherness and spirit in the chorus that that went way back to when you were. Yeah, and it, it was it was amazing. For me, I mean, I knew this was going to happen because I stayed in touch with a few people after. That was summer 2009. I stayed in touch with a few people after mm. that, from that season, mm. uh, some of whom I still see quite regularly. But it was mm. particularly nice to see at least I don't know, six or eight of them yep. still there yep. when I came back in 2000 and uh, whatever it was, 18, yeah. to do um, Isabel, which was my first yeah. uh, principal role for you. Yeah. So that, that that's very nice, you know, to have that kind of stability and those people who, you know, people like Ben Newhouse-Smith and Naomi mm. Gilby who are yeah. really kind of pulling for the company and... Yeah. They it, it it makes a real difference when there are with a seasonal company. It makes a real difference when there are people that are always there yeah. because it means that it feels much more like a company instead of just a yeah. I, I really think it was lovely time. when you said that and, and what you just said there because I think there are a lot of people and we have a constant sort of turnover of small numbers as well. But yeah, there is course, a real yeah. nucleus of um of people that have been there a long time. And I think you're right with a seasonal company. It's very difficult to get it up and running every year. But yeah, when you have a, a core group that know you, that know me, that know that what the company stands for, it makes it so much easier. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, the other thing, David, is it meant a lot not only to me, but it meant a lot to those people um, 
when you came back years later as this, you know, the superstar tenor coming in and coming in, they all loved seeing that because you'd, you'd come from within the company as far as they were concerned. Sure. It was really exciting yeah. for them. Yeah, that is nice. Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, and I've, I've had that experience at Glyndebourne as well, having yeah. been in the chorus there. And um, it's great. when it, And it, it feels like everyone is winning in that situation. Yeah. The, the person singing the principal role feels like, they're getting a, a a wonderful chance from a company and a family that they've known for a long time. Yep. The people that they were there with the first time think this is great because people are being rewarded for hard work and loyalty. Yeah. And the company gets to win out of it as well yeah. because they get to say to everyone, look, we stand by our artists and yeah. we invest in people's futures. Yeah, I think it really does. You, you put it very well there. Everyone's a winner on that. I mean, I've said this to you both when we've had, you know, we've been known to have a little drink together, the three of us before. Um, uh, not, not Never virtually before, at, always actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I've said this to both of you and I really genuinely believe it, that I, it does feel that there's a golden age of, of, of British opera singers at the moment about, you, you know, your generation. There's a real rich seam of, of, of of great singers well a do you agree well you should agree because you're both two of them but do, do you why do you think that is, is it just a, a a freak of nature or is there a particular thing going on in training when you were coming through the conservatoires the two of you um i i don't know honestly i i think um i was very fortunate with my training and mm. i can only speak personally really about that mm. Um, I don't. I don't even think it's to do with the yeah because DBP and I trained at separate times as well. Yeah. Um, sort of uh, a little bit behind. But re- relatively, well, well, maybe we want to talk about it in a bit more detail later. But when we did the Atlanta last year, there was a whole group of people in that cast that you all sort of knew each other, all roughly the same age. Obviously, there's years between people and everything, but yeah, roughly mm. that all comfortable with each other, all knew each other's work. And it just felt a really lovely period in, 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 in British opera singers, David. Sure, I think that's true. And I, I, I do think it's just a coincidence, but there does seem to be a sort of cohort of people who trained at, at British and particularly London colleges yeah. in the last sort of 10 years yeah. who have all sort of grown up together, Yeah, um, which is nice. And it means you encounter the same people Many, you know several times in your career so for example Tal and I first met uh 2010 when I was in the Glamborn Chorus and she and I were both covering in the Rakes Progress there yeah lovely. and um then last year in, in Atlanta obviously we had Ashley Riches who I was on who, who Tal was did you ever overlap at Guildhall yeah, in fact, we did the Atlanta together. together, yeah. And he yeah. was he was on the Young Artist Programme at Covent Garden in the same year as me. Yeah. And Grant Doyle, obviously, is a little bit older. I don't think yeah. you'd mind me saying. But, no, no, um, I think that's fair. <laughs> but he and, I, he and I had worked together. Oh, God, we'd done certainly two, possibly three shows together before. Because yeah, um, I saw you, you did the ETO Bohème, didn't you, I think? Yeah, that was great fun. That yeah. was great. Um, and prior I'm... to that, we'd done Turandot at the Opera House as well. Oh, right. I mean, unfortunately, though, we did have uh, we did have Barney with us as well, though. Oh yeah, I forgot oh, about Barney. <laughs> <laughs> that one's so for Barney, you, Barney. Barney, Barney and Tal again were at, were at Guildhall together, I think, for a bit. And and yeah. he and I had done he and I had certainly done 
we've done Bohem together at ENO and I think we've done a couple of other things together as well. We, we've been mates for years. Um, so yeah, it was quite a, it was quite a family. He's going to, he's going to hate me having a dig at him there. That's going to, that's going to please oh, him. I love it. He'll he love loves it. <laughs> he loves it. That's, he lives for that stuff. <laughs> um, so just before this current um, incredible worldwide, let alone UK um, crisis came up, you were, you were both doing really big, um, roles for big companies at the time we talked to you tell you were just coming to the end of the run of uh, butterfly eno yeah yeah we were midway through it so we we did six performances out of 12 which actually i think we can count ourselves as very lucky yeah because many shows um such as tbps didn't actually make the stage yep. at eno yeah yeah but that's a great it's a great production that did you enjoy that role tell Oh, I loved it. I really, really loved it. Mm. And I really felt like I was um, getting my teeth more and more into it with each performance. Yeah. And I felt um, artistically fulfilled more and more each time. Yeah. Um, and particularly with the threat of this crisis. Um, right. It really, it really put everything into perspective mm-hmm. and really made you treasure each and every moment all the more. Yeah. And so I can say the last two performances that I did of Butterfly at ENO were probably some of the least um, sort of, I didn't have any inhibitions. Right. And when you got there, because, you know, even now it seems like ancient history, can't really remember. the um, When you got to that last show, was it obvious that was the last show at the time? Um, I, I, I kind of felt that it was. I mean, I think the the, the last show for me was the Friday, the... 13th I think yeah gosh and then on Monday the 16th we were told that yeah that they had to close their doors yeah very sadly yeah I mean the speed at which everything uh accelerated it was just beyond belief it was you know it was obviously always on the horizon but it really came it really came up very quickly at the end so as 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 Tal just said there David you were just about to um to open it you know but you also were doing uh you had a pretty dramatic step in at the Royal Opera House didn't you yeah, that's right. We were um, so on the day that that the theatres shut down. We had just done the Zitz Proba of Rosalka. Right. We were about to have the first stage rehearsal the next day. We'd done the studio the, the, the Thursday, the twelfth, the previous week. We'd done the studio run, mm-hmm. and it had gone really well, and everyone was very excited about it. And then when we got together for the Zitz Proba on the Monday, there was a feeling that was that it was probably never going to happen yeah and that was very weird obviously singing through the, the piece with the orchestra for the first time yeah everyone in the room fully aware of the fact that there was a very strong chance that this show was never going to happen yeah um was very strange but as you say I was very fortunate that the previous week I had jumped in for two performances of Fidelio at Covent Garden <laughs> um at very very short notice um, Go and tell people that listen. How short notice was it, David? Well, <laughs> slightly complicated because they had called me a, oh, about ten days earlier, right. before the show opened, um, to say there was a problem and yeah. was I potentially free for some for the show dates, mm-hmm. and I said yes. And then they got me in the day before the premiere. I went in for about four hours and yeah. walked through it on the set with the director and did a bit of the music with Tony Papano. Yeah. And then the premiere, it turns out, um, was fine. Um, so then I thought, well, I'm off the hook now. Yeah. And then the f- it was the third show, third show or fourth show, I think. 
um, when they, they called me the day before and said, they called me the evening before and said, you're on tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I went in that afternoon and walked through it on the set again with the assistant director for about 45 minutes, but that was it. <laughs> um, so I'd never rehearsed with any of the other principals. Yeah. Indeed, I'd never met half of the other principals until we were on stage together. <laughs> um, but fortunately, I had just done the role. I did it four times in January in Prague. Yeah. So it was right in the front of my mind. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't have to think about, you know, re-memorizing the words or forgetting yeah. what I was doing or anything. I just had to hit the marks for, yeah. the, for the production. And that was it, really. Right. So I did those two shows and the last one, like Tal, the last one was on that that Friday, the 13th. Right. And I was supposed to do the final one, which was on Tuesday the 17th. But then that never happened, of right. course. But you, did you know that that was going to be the last one as you were doing it, David? Or was the well, that was feeling? the last one of the run. Um, the Tuesday the 17th was the final show and they had confirmed on the Monday morning that I was definitely doing it and then mm. six hours later the theatre was closed so yeah yeah incredible times just on, yeah. on the on the piece though I have to say um, you know because um, I think that's one of the hardest entrances of any role that because you, you open the second half of the evening sure and uh, it's, it's actually amazing I mean it's an incredible gift to sing if you've got it in your voice yeah. um, because you have this amazing sort of two minute long introduction yeah. um, with, the, where the, with the tension building underneath you um, and it's really I mean normally of course in a traditional production of Fidelio there's no one else on stage at that point apart from you mm -hmm. um, which is brings its own challenges but in this production <laughs> In the Tobias Kratzer production, the entire chorus are on stage for the whole of Act Two. Right. So it comes up at the beginning of Act Two, and Florestan is lying there uh, in chains with the entire Royal Opera House chorus staring at him. <laughs> so for added extra pressure. <laughs> um, so that was that was quite fun because a lot of them are very good friends of mine. So it was it was actually really nice. It was a lovely atmosphere. That they was were really supportive. nice. Yeah. And the other bit of pressure that night, because you were, you were coming in for uh, Jonas Kaufman. When did they do yeah. the announcement? The top of the of the top of the show. Top of the show. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't hear it. <laughs> I'm, to I'm told there was quite a lot of cheering, um, which I was which I'm slightly surprised about because I was Excellent. I was expecting the opposite. Excellent. I think they had. I think they'd got the information out relatively early so that nobody was. You know, I, I don't think it was a surprise to anyone no. when they came and made the no. announcement. But it was it was it was great to hear you were going on that, and I only wish I'd have been there. But it sounded like a, an absolute triumph. But it um, was a lot of fun. I mean, the, to be honest, the first one I don't really remember very much about <laughs> because <laughs> I was I was basically singing on autopilot and just desperately trying to remember the moves um, <laughs> so that I didn't screw anyone else over by being in the wrong place at the right at the wrong yeah. time. Um, fortunately, it's not a particularly complicated production. Um, so it was it was absolutely fine. Right. But then the second one that I did, I, I really felt like I got to enjoy it um, oh, because I, I had a bit of brain space yeah. to sort of be a bit more present and interpret a bit more and interact a bit more and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and Fabulous. Uh, we're all going to find out what that looks like because there, I believe that that performance is being broadcast on BBC Four in a few weeks. Yeah, I was just about to ask that oh, because that amazing. was uh, that would be lovely to see. So that was the second were, one of so the, your two, was it, David? The second one of the two I did. So the the, the last two shows of the run were being recorded for the DVD and for and the last one was due to be a live cinema broadcast. Right. 
and obviously that got cancelled. Yeah. So they the only take the only complete take they have of the whole show in multi camera as as for the DVD is the second show I did. Wow. Um, and they've decided that the, the BBC are, are taking that for broadcast in in May, I think. Yeah. Wow. Well, I look forward to that. We'll get the popcorn yeah. out. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, well, we both you both stopped jobs there when 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 all this uh, all this time really affecting everyone. Obviously, it's going to affect our industry. Uh, as well as many other industries and lives, you know, incredibly. But I think it is going to change our industry a lot when we all come back. Although I think so many people are going to be desperate to see live music um, and theatre. You know, it's just going to be a difficult transition coming back, don't you think? Yeah, sure. Yes, for sure. We, with the problem is at the moment, you know, none of us have, without wishing to make it sound too bleak, none of us have any idea when we're next going to be able to work. No. Um, yeah. You know, I'm desperately hoping that the, the final few weeks of the Glyndebourne season goes ahead, yeah. which it currently is planned to, but obviously yeah. that's entirely uh, subject to the theatres being allowed to reopen. Yeah. Um, so who knows? You know. Yeah. No, I think it's obviously one of the one of the worst days for me was the day when we bowed to the inevitable and cancelled our twenty twenty season. But of course, it, yeah. it was inevitable because mm-hmm. we had to build our theatre. Um, yeah. Of course. And then of course everyone's gone now, with the exception of the final few uh, few weeks of of Glyndebourne at the moment. So we can't hope they do it. But I think this this times like this where you really remember how what a lovely thing it is we do as well. Um, sure. Oh gosh, yes. Do you think that's how the moment to, really hits home, doesn't it? Yeah, I said to myself, of all the things that I've ever moaned about or whinged about, I thought, oh my god, no, I'm so nervous about this, or mm. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm worried about such and such. I don't care anymore. Get me on a stage, and I, I'll probably sing anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it, no, I can understand that because my my thing, as you both know, is I love rehearsal rooms, and we would start being in rehearsal room next next Tuesday was our first day in rehearsal room and right. it's, it feels very very strange not to be just building up for that and instead of that I'm on the phone all day every day trying to work out if we can get any of our shows on anywhere in the autumn or the spring um, mm. so it sure. just changes everything completely that yeah that that stuff that we all love um, very openly with you two of just being in a room, seeing a lot of people that we know, working together, all those sort of cliches, but are the truths like, you know, the community and the the family that builds up and just um, working together towards something. It's just such a lovely thing. And, sure. and I think you two both know this all the time, and I certainly am aware of it, but it just feels even stronger now when you can't do it. Completely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, we um, felt, obviously, as I say, we, we rehearsed, we'd been rehearsing for five weeks for this new production of Rosalka at Eno hmm. with a fantastic cast and a wonderful director and a wonderful conductor. And it was really starting to become something very special. And yeah. then suddenly it, it feels like that's a month and a half of my life. Like I've, I've invested into that and now yeah. it's gone. And I know that, that lots of people are, are involved in the company are having conversations about how it might be possible to mm. resurrect that work at some point. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, people like yourself and, and other companies are going to be looking into that. But um, at the moment, it's still pretty raw, obviously. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And because because all the theatres are closed as well, it just makes it difficult for people like in my jobs to to sort anything because everything still is like you know it's it's like doing it on quicksand. As soon as you yeah you can't yeah. make any decision so because everything else can change in the day. You know, uh, at the moment. 
Um, but let's go to happier things for for a moment. That obviously last year we uh, we had you both at Holland Park in a joyful thing of uh, Eolanta, and which has since I don't think I've spoken to you both in person on email, but you know nominated in the International Opera Awards as part of the, our double bill for production of the year, along with Susan. Hey! So, I mean, yeah, we weren't expecting that. That was rather nice. Oh, it was pretty nice, wasn't it? I mean, uh, yeah, it was um, so lovely, especially considering some of the people we're we're, we're up against, and also to have a double bill in there with Susanna Secret and this. It just felt even nicer because, uh, depending on who I'm talking to, I said, "Well, we've got two productions in the um, yeah <laughs> in the shortlist for opera of the year." Um, but just yesterday, I was looking because I knew we were doing this, looking at some of those photos and the photo that I've tweeted a few times. David, you giving me a hug on the last night of the season. It just yeah. seems from, especially with the social distancing thing, it just feels like a different decade rather than last Completely. summer. Yeah, when you look oh, at those I'll pictures, it was all on stage and everything. Um, but everyone, everyone's been talking to me about that fifteen minutes, whatever it was, of the duet in Atlanta, where the two of you are just on stage on your own. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, from an audience and a producerial point of view, it felt extraordinary. Did you know? Did you both know on stage how good it was when it was happening? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were all gearing up for it, weren't we, DVP? Look, the thing is, we both of us, uh, both of us knew the piece fairly well um, before we started rehearsing it, and. We knew from day one because I've experienced not that I've sung the role before, which Tal has, but I'd worked on the piece before, yeah, when I was at college. And I knew what anyone that's worked on that piece knows, which is that that 15 minutes is absolute gold, yeah. And if you can really sell it and really, really sing it, yeah, it is one of the great duet scenes in all of opera yeah and even the impact of that is amplified because people don't know it so yeah. then it hits them like a train yeah. and um yeah we were looking forward to it from day one of it's exhilarating to yeah. sing and to perform exactly yeah i think also the thing with that is as david said that because a lot of people don't know it and then it just builds upon uh, builds every moment. You know, you think, well, normally that would be the end. Uh, you know, another composer would tie this up now, but he just keeps yeah. building on it. And um, mm -hmm. and Sean was conducting that so beautifully, and uh, and it was just this thing. And you always know at our place because we're in the sort of semi-open air. You always know it's something special because you get on the sides of the theatre all different members of staff. You know, from bar staff, stewards, production team. You go, oh, it's coming up to the duet, and everyone appears in this in the wings <laughs> just to see this. Uh, Thing. But it was absolutely, um, absolutely extraordinary. I think also I wanted to say to to you both about that that you, you know you repaid my tr uh, trust in you both because obviously you're both incredible artists. But at that time, you both had other pretty big jobs. Tell you at uh, Garsington, and I think David, you were at the Garden at that time uh, uh, yeah. through yeah, rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we knew we couldn't get you together, you know, that much in rehearsals. But I just kept saying. If we can get them together at all, it's fine. <laughs> It'll be Honestly, fine. trust me on this. Yeah, um, we made we made it work. We were, we were both um, <laughs> we were but, both nipping off to perform sort of every other day, and I, it was it was actually um, it was Olivia, the director, that I felt sorry for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, because the whole the, the whole of the first think. three four weeks of rehearsals, it was a question of right which which half of the cast have we got today? <laughs> yeah. But also, David, you know, because Olivia's a wonderful director, but she also is, is clever and bright and she understands. If I'm saying to her, honestly, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and then she obviously she gets you both in the room and she knows it is. Then you just have to work to that because you could have lesser yeah. artists uh, doing it uh, and be there all the time, but the result wouldn't be as good. No, um, sure. And I think people understand that, the people that do understand. 
one of, one of the things I remember so much about that um, rehearsal period is um, is a wonderful uh, assistant conductor on that on that show, Lada, um, screaming the uh, the Russian um, <laughs> <laughs> words oh at everyone before every line. And um, I, I said I'm to you once, Tal. Sometimes playing. Yeah. But Tal, I said to you once. I think that um, when when she stopped when she stopped doing, it, I sort of missed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's so good. She's so quick. So alert. She knows this music inside out. It you know it runs through her blood, but also she she's her brain works. It's such a oh I mean it's it's such a pace. You can't keep up with her. If she can yeah. keep up with you, and she just knows exactly when you're going to go wrong. Yeah. She preempts it, and she's there, and she's feeding you the line, yeah. or conducting you at the same time in some cases. Yeah. Well, on some <laughs> we of those in, days, we on some of those days, yeah. she was um, singing one of your roles if you weren't there. And then, oh, yeah. uh, and correcting the other ones. And queuing, yeah. Was, 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 we, we were very yeah. lucky because we were very lucky because um, both both Tal and I had known Lada for quite a long time before, yeah. and um, so we felt completely that she was there to catch us. You know, yeah. she was the uh, the yeah. best safety net you could ask for. Yeah, which, which was which was particularly helpful for me because I was shall we say less than usually diligent in the preparation and um <laughs> I, I it's, it's like it's everything is worse particularly a singer that comes from a choral background like me you you live in permanent your worst nightmare is turning up on day one underprepared um and the great thing about that being your worst nightmare is that it basically never happens because you won't <laughs> let it happen to yourself so um but the thing is when you're working in russian it's a whole different ball game because yeah. when you're working mm. in French or German or Italian, a language that you at least speak a bit of. Um, or you could read. You can, well, or you could read off the page, mm. fluently, uh. exactly, at least. Um, you, the memory comes so much quicker because you start a sentence and part of your brain goes, oh, this must be the end of that sentence yeah. and fills in the gaps. Yeah. And in Russian, you don't have that. No. <laughs> you either know it or you don't. <laughs> and if you don't know yeah. what the next syllable is, then you're screwed <laughs> yeah yeah and um, you can't because you can't make it up yeah so we did i did have the probably the first two weeks of rehearsals at least i had to basically divide my brain in half yeah. with half of it concentrating on singing and the other half of it listening to lada shouting the next line at me from the side <laughs> <laughs> no she's i mean one of the other sad things it makes all the sadness everyone's got incredibly sad stories and, and you know and putting on shows is not the top of that list although it means a lot to us but um uh, lada was due to be our young artist conductor this year um oh, no. which is oh, yeah. now not happening, at least when it's unless, at least when it was meant to which is a real you know, blow to her and and me because I think she was just just at the she right really moment for that. Yeah. You know, would have just been perfect. Oh, yeah. So we'll we'll find something else. And Natalia, this is plug time. Uh, talking about Lada, um, <laughs> uh, this is where they say on the TV. Have you got anything coming out soon? Um, have you got any album coming out at the moment, Natalia? And I say absolutely. <laughs> yes, on May the first, Lada Valesheva and myself will release my my first debut recital CD called Aryan and it's full of Russian and Czech song wow. and we're very very much looking forward to releasing that uh, sadly it doesn't feel like a great time for self-promotion at the moment yeah. but no. the one thing that we can hope that would come of this is that it kind of come at a time where you can't see anything live 
And so streaming is at an all time high. And if you do want to download or listen to something new, uh, then we're there for you. Yeah. We got you. May the 5th. May the 1st. Yeah. And uh, I can't. And what's what's the album called, Tal? It's called Arian. And what's the record label? Orchid Classics. Orchid Classics. You heard it here first. Um, (laughs) But look forward to that. Okay. We're going to wrap up soon. Just going to say. because we're all in this uh, same boat where everyone's been at home and in lockdown and everything, um, just ask you both something. Uh, they're just little things that you're really missing that you just can't wait to do. Not like the obvious things, get back on stage, but just tiny things. Is there anything you can uh, share with us? <laughs> yeah, for me, I'm I'm on my own in Cardiff. Right. And I've realised how, well, gigantic a part of my life music is yeah. <laughs> and um but also being in physical contact with humans mm. is a huge thing yeah and I just can't wait to physically see someone that I know yeah and I, I wouldn't go as far as to say as love but even like at this point yeah I think I'd be <laughs> very grateful yeah it's in, it is incredible uh, David uh, you yeah you? I can I completely agree I mean as I have been very honest about with anyone I've spoken to about this. I am the guy for whom social distancing was not designed. I'm <laughs> it's my it's like literally my worst nightmare. Like yeah. I, I'm a I'm a very social person. I need other people. Yeah. Um I I come alive through contact with other people. And um this is very weird for me. Um uh, I'm I'm lucky that I do have my my wonderful family here um although four of us in this house um is starting to seem like a lot at the moment (laughs) but um yeah i'm just i'm desperate to absolutely desperate to see some of my friends again basically yeah i think it is one of those things as you both said is the physical uh since everyone's doing a lot of zoom meetings and that's all great but um, particularly with family, because my parents only live relatively close to me and Angela, you know, only about three miles away. But the thing is, I've dropped some food off there, but the physical thing of not being able to yeah. see them or give them a hug. Yeah, uh, weird, something yeah. that you would absolutely take for granted all yeah. the time yeah. now feels like when when's it stopping so i can do that it's just yeah. <laughs> it's just agree. an incredible <laughs> incredible barrier suddenly that you'd never dreamt that that was going to come up um yeah no. you know it is that thing um the other thing uh, just a silly thing really compared to all that uh, important stuff have any of you found any great local suppliers or businesses that are doing stuff that you're getting delivered that we should say aren't they great and give a shout out to um well I, mine mine would be the bottle shop in Penarth. <laughs> yes <laughs> perfect you're so classy <laughs> they, delivered. I, I am so classy hey support local <laughs> I'm not Absolutely. going to Morrison's next door. Yeah. I'm going to my local local businesses. Um, but I've yet to find a, a fruit and veg person that is not inundated yeah. with orders. Yeah. And I feel slightly guilty because I, I do live next door to a, a huge supermarket. So it's not like I can't get out and, and get anything. Sure. But yeah, I um, I have supported my local wine business. You'll be surprised to hear. Well, it's, <laughs> well, it's great. David, anyone for you? Yeah, we, I mean, we've, we're quite lucky here in Beckenham. We've got lots of very good shops um, and supermarkets that we can walk to very easily. Um, real, I had a, I had a uh, delivery from Brewdog at the weekend, which I've been uh, waiting for. Classy. With Brenton, very Brenton. good. Um, but, and tomorrow we've got a delivery coming from Paul Rhodes Bakery. 
um with a load of like breakfast pastries and stuff perfect um which is which uh, my wife's particularly excited about oh and some strong bread flour as well so that we can make some bread. oh god right. there, has, there hasn't been any any flour in any of our supermarkets for about three no weeks. no that's that's big black market stuff that david yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to say two from around here. I've got the well, uh, so one is um, another bakery, Whole White's Bakery in Enfield, are doing deliveries to people, um, particularly if you need it, and uh, they're just amazing. Um, and also to follow, I couldn't let you two say about drinks, people, and me not, but the um, uh, Amethyst in uh, Soho are delivering uh, spirits and wine as well, and they've been fantastic oh, right. on deliveries and, and, and really good. But um, anyway, we'll, I'm going to keep this going through this about getting people to give a bit of shout out to local businesses as well. So, um, We'll see. Yeah, it's important. But it is important at the moment. And, and suddenly, you know, that some of these businesses are really stepping up to the mark as well. Um, yeah. We'll oh, see. Yeah. But anyway, let's leave it there. It's great to, well, I was going to say to see you both. I'm not seeing <laughs> you both. Um, but it's great <laughs> to, to speak to voice. you both. It's a real pleasure. And once again, thanks for that amazing work last year um, and to get us that nomination as a company. But also just thanks for everything you do for us and all the companies you work for because you're both, uh, you know, sensational stars of this scene and really bring us all together. So thank you very much for that. James, it's a huge pleasure. Yeah. Now more than ever. Lovely. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, I'm going to say goodbye now, and then we'll have a quick chat when we turn the recording off. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks both. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to From the Producer's Office, a series of informal podcasts with James Clutton. For more information on Opera Holland Park, please visit www.operahollandpark.com.